Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. The most perplexing question in Scripture is this. Why would God love us? He needs nothing from us. And in fact, we, we turned as, a, as humanity, we turned away from him into sinful rebellion. And yet God continues to open his heart to us, to be genuinely concerned for our welfare, to at his own expense pursue and redeem us. Open God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. Open God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. The love of God is overwhelming and perplexing. In this life, we just simply can't understand it. The idea that the God who created everything from a microscopic level to the scale of the galaxies cares for us is mind-boggling. As we continue to examine the book of Philippians with Pastor Ricky, we're reminded of this shocking reality. We may not ever understand why God loves us, but because of that love, we can live lives that bring Him glory and draw the people around us into His incredible grace. Let's join Pastor Ricky for part two of his message, The Profile of a Gospel Partner, from the book of Philippians, chapter two. God had us as broken, sinful, rebellious people on his heart. Look, for my money, the the most perplexing question in Scripture is not, okay, what was the deal with the flood? Was it worldwide? How many days was the earth created in? It's not even... You know, why would a good God allow suffering? Those are all legitimate questions. For my money, the most perplexing question in Scripture is this. Why would God love us? He needs nothing from us. And in fact, we we turned as as humanity, we turned away from him into sinful rebellion. And yet God continues to open his heart to us, to be genuinely concerned for our welfare to at his own expense pursue and redeem us. This is exactly what we see in the example of Jesus. This is exactly what Paul has been laying out in Philippians chapter 2. So following in Jesus' footsteps means loving Jesus' people the way Jesus loves his people. You know, in the last several years, this is not uncommon in any period of history, but the last several years, there's been a lot of people saying stuff like, I like Jesus, but not the church, right? I like Jesus. I'm okay with the relationship with Jesus, but his church, I'm done with it, right? As if in scripture, (laughs) Jesus himself would have that attitude toward his church. See, the reality is this, friends. (laughs) If we love Jesus, We will love what Jesus loves. That's part of what it means to love him. And Jesus loves the church as sinful and broken and imperfect and messy as she is. And the example of Jesus causes us to then reorder our hearts, to put him first, and then out of that to put others before ourselves. And strangely find as in Paul's case, that that actually leads to more joy than putting ourselves first. 
So that's the first group of marks. The second group of marks is the bonds of a gospel partner. This, this series of marks kind of paints the profile of a gospel partner having to do with how we are bound and connected to one another. And I think this is especially relevant for our culture. Uh, we are used to, in our culture, treating church like another service, right? We think, oh, I used to go to this gym, but I didn't like that gym or that. They got rid of the gym teacher I liked, and so the coach that I liked isn't there anymore. And so, you know, the crowd just started changing. The vibe was a little different. They started changing the music. So I'm going to this gym now. I was going to that gym, but now I'm going to this gym because this one's a little bit better, right? I'm not really doing gym anymore. I'm just going to do gym at home. I'm just going to do like the Peloton thing. And we kind of bring that attitude into church, right? Like, listen, I used to go to that church, but listen, it, it was too early at the end of the day, right? Or I didn't like the kids' ministry, or my kids got stuck with this teacher that was kind of, you know, just, just kind of okay. And I don't want to feel okay about church. I want to feel like I love it. You know what I mean? Like, and, and it's just like the, the guy's messages just started getting really, like, up here. You know what I mean? I feel like I need something down here. And we can sort of just begin to kind of adopt this attitude to the church of like, you know what, I can take it or leave that church or this church or whatever. And we begin to see it as sort of another service, right? I can go to Walmart or I can go to Sam's or I can go to Costco, whatever I feel like that day. And we, we begin to add, this, this is the prevailing kind of current of our culture, right? And so unless we are consciously thinking, no, this is different. The family of God is different. I got to think about this in a different way. We're going to get swept along. And so this is why these marks, this group of marks are helpful and the first mark I'm going to point out is the bonds of a family member. Verse 22, Paul says of Timothy, You know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I wish we could do a whole sketch. I wish this whole message was about, uh, about Paul's relationship to Timothy. But they had served together for years and years. Paul was Jewish. Timothy was at least half Gentile. Paul was older, Timothy was younger. But what brought them together fundamentally was the cause of the gospel. They had both had their hearts changed toward God. And when this happened, their hearts toward one another changed. And as they pursued the cause of Christ together, their hearts were knit together as well. They once were strangers and now they were family. And this is what it means, friends, to be a gospel partner. It doesn't mean sort of casual, loose commitment. It means pursuing the cause of Christ together until your bonds begin to feel like family. You know, one of our core values as a church is family. And I'm so grateful that our church for years and years has lived this. Here's one example. Uh, one of our pastors now, uh, who's still with us, his name is Tom. And he was my youth leader and then my singles leader growing up. Learned so much from his teaching, loved being there in his house. We used to pack all the singles into his house or youth into his house. We'd be like, somebody would be just sitting in the hall because they couldn't even get in. It was, it was a great group. And I began to have a heart for the Lord. And God used him to help me grow in my faith. He began to fan into flame, in a sense, that gift in me. So eventually, I began to work with him. He trained me and asked me to take over the singles group and trained me and then brought me on staff. And when I came on staff, he really helped mentor me. And really, I consider him one of my closest friends today. But the reality is that we are super different, right? He loves fishing. He loves fly fishing. I love not fishing. I love to not fish, right? Tom is a little bit older than me. I think it's 50, 40 or 50 years older than me. Is that right, Tom? I don't know. 
We have a little bit of an age gap. I'm not sure what that is. He is a sunny day person, right? He thinks, like, it's going to be fine. Let's have faith. And I think we're going to die, right? Like, all the time. And yet, as we've been together over years, God has done something in our hearts that's unusual, right? We wouldn't, now, like, if we'd bumped into each other at Walmart, Tom and I wouldn't have been, like, best buddies by the end of our Walmart trip. We would have been like, oh, it's the fishing guy, right? And we're like, are those jeans tight enough for you, hipster buddy? Like, you know? And we would have just gone on our merry way. And yet God does something as we pursue Jesus and serve the family of God together. He begins to grow these bonds. And that doesn't just apply to Timothy. It applies, I love this, to Epaphroditus as well. So Paul may have never even met Epaphroditus before, right? He may not have been at the church before. This guy could have showed up and said, hello, my name is Epaphroditus. I'm from Philippi. And yet Paul calls him, the first name he calls him is my brother. See, even with somebody you don't know from Adam, if they are in Christ, they are a brother or a sister immediately. In other words, we together are part of the family of God like that. We have so many different backgrounds and ethnicities and cultures and political views and jobs in our church, but I love this about us, that at the most basic level, we are still brothers and sisters in the Lord. We have the same heavenly father. We've been changed by the same gospel. And even if we've never met before, we have that in common. And our identity goes from being strangers to brothers and sisters in Christ. So ask yourself, do you relate to the family of God like a consumer or like a family member? This is where I'm just, I'm just going to insert this. I really want to plead with you. You do not have to be a member of our church if you're sitting here, right? But I'm going to plead with you to be a member of a church somewhere. Uh, one of the things that's happened in our culture is we've sort of, like, as churches have gotten less clingy, in a sense, less, less requiring certain things of, of folks that attend, it's gotten very loose, and membership in itself has sort of been devalued over time. And membership at its core is not signing up for a program or getting a Costco membership. Membership is simply saying, I want to be here, and I want to commit to love this body, right? And it allows the members of the church to say, okay, that person, they're with us. They've looked at what we believe. They've looked at what we're trying to do in mission, and they want to link arms with us, and we want to link arms with them. So let me plead with you. Look, even if you're in the military, even if you're a federal worker, even if you're only going to be there a year or two years or three years, find a family of God, put your hand up and say, this is my church. I don't want you to say, I go to this church. I want you to say, this is my church, right? And again, it doesn't have to be here, okay? If you're hearing that and thinking, man, I don't know if I want to make this church my family, that's okay. We're a weird family. We have more than our share of weird uncles, you know? That's okay. But let me plead with you that I think we should value this. And let me just insert this. The, the, the folks that I've seen that even have transitory jobs that happen to be in the military or federal workers, the folks that then, when they land, they are like looking for a family and plug in and connect, they have been some of the healthiest couples and peoples and families that I have encountered. And often, the people that have more and less and less, like more and more tenuous connections, it gets harder and harder because you have less family. So let me encourage you, make a commitment, be part of the family of God. Uh, second mark, real quickly here, the bonds of a fellow soldier. Uh, 
Paul lists a string of images, but I just want to focus on one, uh, partially because of our context, and I think you guys will appreciate it. I've thought, at verse 25, I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my f- brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. So the phrase I want to zero in on here is fellow soldier, which sort of sums up the aspects of family and common mission and common ministry. Remember that that Philippi was a Roman colony where many of the veterans of the Roman world settled. The the deal in the Roman army was sort of this, and this may help some of our military people feel better about the deal they got. The deal in the Roman army was this. Uh, You served for 20 to 25 years. You couldn't marry during that time. They could send you wherever you wanted to, but at the end of it, they let you get married and gave you a plot of land and Roman citizenship, okay? I think you guys probably got a better deal than that. I mean, that's pretty rough. A 20-year commitment for a plot of land. Right? And yet, Philippi was one of these places. So there's these big battles, and, and they sort of brought infrastructure, gave a bunch of property away, and said, okay, have at it, guys. Build a city. And these guys were proud of their Roman citizenship. They were proud of their military service. So when Paul uses the phrase fellow soldier, that would have been rich with meaning to them. Right? They understood that when you're in combat, the common mission unites you in a way that people outside of that context cannot understand. Right? You may not even like the guy next to you, but he is your fellow soldier, and you are in this together. And to the Roman military, this is the part where I get to nerd out like once a year on, on military strategy. The Roman military was famous for a particular formation that they used to devastating effect across the ancient world, and it was the testudo formation, the turtle formation, right? You've probably seen pictures of this, is, is if you've ever seen like an old Roman war movie, where the guys at the front have their shields set full, where they had these kind of half little curved shields that are real tall, about as tall as a guy. And they, so the first row would put their shields out to form a wall. But you think, okay, but you're just going to get picked apart with arrows and spears and stuff. Well, that's where the second group of soldiers, the second row, put their, their shields over the first guys. Right? So the first guys are here, second guys are here. And the third row kind of brings up the rear with the last row, and then they have guys on the sides. So it was a little box of death, right? And so you're approaching, you know, a hill or something, and guys are shooting arrows at you, but you're like in this shell. You don't care, right? You just keep marching, right? Cavalry could come up, you know, you just like spearing those guys down, and you just wait till you get close enough, you break the thing and kill everybody, right? And this is what Rome was famous for. And so to be a fellow soldier, what these guys would have thought about is not sort of like a casual commitment, like, hey, do you feel like going to war with me? Like, oh, I don't know, I'll see how Tuesday looks. Like, this is like, no, these guys are literally, their shields are locked in with one another or like this. And they think fellow soldier, they're thinking of being in that formation and sweating and breathing and whispering quiet prayers together, right? This is what it means to them to be a fellow soldier. And in the same way, the bonds of gospel partnership unite us in a common mission that requires us to stick together. It means no one gets left behind. It means that we are stronger when we are together than when we are apart. Over years of ministry, I've seen the same pattern again and again, that folks will start to get further away in relationship, in fellowship, And then they fall into sin or in deep discouragement or resentment or hurt. And often, listen, I will say this, it is not easy to be like this close to somebody for a long time. This person starts to get annoying after a while. Why are you breathing weird? Why isn't your shield straight, right? 
But what I found over time is those conflicts inside that formation are much better than, than the things that happen when we break and just each try to go our own way. And Paul says, this is the way we are to be. And again, this example points to Jesus. Jesus bound himself to his people freely. In the Old Testament, it is extraordinary because God has no obligation to his people, right? They have turned away from him, they've sinned against him, and unilaterally, he says, I am going to call a people to myself, I'm gonna make a covenant with them that I will promise to keep, and I will set my love on them. And this bond that, that God creates with his people is so strong that nothing can break it. Not even our own sin, not death itself, not the work of the enemy, that God himself binds us to himself. Even when we keep falling off and getting wimpy and glitchy, he grabs us and he commits to the covenant bond with us. And in light of that, he says, listen, friends, I've brought you together. I want you to bind yourselves to one another this way the way I've bound myself to you. Third and briefly, the risk of a gospel partner. Being a gospel partner requires risk. A lot of people think of Christianity as sort of a, a fun, inspiring hobby, you know? Like some people are into the running club, some people are into church, like whatever you're into, that's fun. You know, do your thing. Now, real gospel partnership involves risking everything. First mark, the risk of death. <laughs> Paul says of, pa of Epaphroditus, verse 27, indeed he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only him, but on me also. So the mission involved risk. Epaphroditus, when he set out, he knew travel in the ancient world was dangerous. He could be robbed. He could encounter disease. If he got hurt or sick, it was likely no one would help him, right? This is it. And the man is willing to risk his death and his safety to serve Paul to advance the gospel. There will be times that gospel partnership involves us putting our lives on the line. It may mean risking our livelihood to stay faithful to Christ. It may mean risking our business or our reputation. Friends, I believe that God is going to call people in our church to missions. I've had this sense for a while. And we already have some members of our church who work in Mexico. And, and brothers and sisters, you have our respect. There is real risk at times with standing for the gospel in that context more than ours. But I believe, friends, others will be called to join them. Now, will that be for all of us? I, I don't think, for many of us, being a Christian is gonna mean the risk of death, but we must be willing to go there because that test helps separate out whether this is a hobby for us or our life. The risk of death, but second, the risk of life. More than just risking death, Paul is holding out the example of a lifestyle of sacrifice and gospel partnership day in and day out in big ways and small ways. Look, the, the likelihood is that Epaphroditus would go back to his job after he got back, right? You clock back in. That, that may be the last time he's ever sent out. But Paul wants him to look at his example and to live this way. A pastor named Fred Craddock uses this illustration. To give my life for Christ appears glorious. To pour myself out for others. To pay the ultimate price of martyrdom. I'll do it. I'm ready, Lord, to go out in a blaze of glory. We think giving our all to the Lord is like taking a $1,000 bill and laying it on the table. Here's my life, Lord. I'm giving it all. But the reality for most of us is that he sends us to the bank and has us cash in the $1,000 for quarters. 
We go through life putting out 25 cents here, 50 cents there. Listen to the neighbor kids' troubles instead of saying, get lost. Go to the church committee meeting. Give a cup of water to the shaky old man in a nursing home. Usually giving our life to Christ isn't glorious. It's done in all those little acts of love, 25 cents a time at a time. It would be easier to go out in a flash of glory. It's harder to live the Christian life little by little over the long haul. So Frank, consider this. Are you prepared for the lifetime of small sacrifices that come when your life is shaped by gospel partnership? Times you will give money and time. Times you will stop to care for somebody. Times you slog through reconciliation with someone. Times you support a ministry even though you'd rather it look a little bit different. This is what it means to risk gospel partnership in the everyday stuff of life. And this is where what we learned in Philippians 2 should come back to us as we see the example of Jesus. He humbled himself to our form to the point of death. He gave everything. He risked everything. He lost everything for the sake of his people. He points the way, and when we risk all as gospel partners, it reflects our example, Jesus. In John 12, it records Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. It says, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took out palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. We remember and rejoice that our King has come, but remember that this is not the King anyone expected. They expected somebody to ride in on a war horse and conquer Rome. And yet Philippians 2 shows us the universe maker who humbled himself and became a man. The man that humbled himself to become the forsaken. The forsaken then that was the exalted. When we become aware of how we have fallen short, friends, our hope is Jesus. If we have not loved, if we have broken bonds, if we've held back from each other, we look to Jesus. Listen, if we see the examples of men like Timothy and Epaphroditus, I think we all have room for repentance. I'm convicted as I look at the examples of these men. But the good news is that Jesus' sacrifice can pay for our sins, can wash us, can restore us, that we can turn to him and find him ready to forgive us and to lead us onward again. Today is an invitation for you. Acknowledge your sin, declare that Jesus is King, shout Hosanna, and today your saving King can bring you new life. We rejoice in Him and we follow in His footsteps. We open our hearts to one another as Jesus opened His heart to us. We bind ourselves to one another as Jesus chose to bind Himself to His people. And we lay down and risk things for one another just as Jesus laid down His life for us. Hope in God, oh my soul, He is strong and He's strong to save. Hope in God, He's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. What makes Pastor Ricky call the book of Philippians the happiest book in the Bible? As we've been discovering in this series, it's because of the incredible good news the Apostle Paul has to share with us all. Pastor Ricky has been teaching verse by verse through this short but powerful New Testament letter, emphasizing the joy that can only be found in the redeeming power of Jesus Christ. We hope you've caught some of that joy as you listen today. 
If you want to listen to today's message again or explore more of the teachings available from Better News Radio, we'd encourage you to visit our website, betternewsradio.com. There you can also find more information about this ministry and subscribe to our podcast. Be sure to check out Pastor Ricky's Better News book, available for free online. This book answers questions about who Jesus is, why we all need to know Him, and how this knowledge can completely change our world. Feel free to download or share it with someone who may be asking these questions. We're so blessed to have you as our listeners, and we're thrilled that you joined us today. If you ever have any questions for us or would like to share a prayer request with us, please send an email to radio at betternewsradio.com. We'll reply as soon as we can, and we'll start praying even sooner. That email again is radio at betternewsradio.com. Thanks for tuning in to our program today. Join Pastor Ricky Alcantad next time to keep studying the happiest book in the Bible right here on Better News Radio.